once you get copper in your blood, I found you get three types of people. You get the people that do it just for a job. You get the people who do it who absolutely abhor it, who want to get out. And then you have the poor schmucks like us who actually enjoy it. Welcome to The Intelligent Engine, a podcast that lives in the heart of the electronics industry, brought to you by Silicon Expert. Silicon Expert is all about data-driven decisions with a human-driven experience. We mitigate risk and manage compliance from design through sustainment, the knowledge, experience, and thought leadership of the team partners and those we interact with every day expose unique aspects of the electronics industry and the product life cycles that live within it. These are the stories that fuel the intelligent engine. The electronics industry can be vicious, especially in contract manufacturing. Resiliency is a necessary trait to have during ups and downs, shifts in the market, twists and turns in running companies, and more often than we care to see, health scares. Kevin Devine and Liam Holt are partners, but more importantly, friends that have each other's back. Both have had their share of success, but not without the challenges that come from running an electronics industry business. This is their story. They've managed to not only build a great company, but also to discover a way to help those in need who are fighting cancer. Today's spotlight is on Divine Electronics. Joining us today are Liam Holt and Kevin Devine. Both Liam and Kevin have over 30 years of experience in the electronics industry with expertise in materials, manufacturing, process development, and global supply chain solutions. Kevin and Liam, thanks for joining us. Let me start by asking how you two ended up working together. How'd you meet? So Liam and I have known each other for years through the industry. A few years back, I had gone out as a manufacturer's rep and uh, was really trying to put together a good global supply chain strategy for OEMs in the Northeast. Liam, on the other hand, was heading up a manufacturing facility. Liam was in a process of trying to reduce some overhead and, and downsize his business. And I was trying to fill some holes in our global supply chain. So we got together and decided to combine efforts, which allowed us to have some manufacturing capability to fill some gaps for prototyping, quick turn. It also allowed us to add some engineering staff, uh, some materials expertise, and just increase the overall uh, product offering and ability to supply a global supply chain solution to our OEM customers. That's a remarkably broad range of expertise that, that you all have to be a manufacturer as well as, as representing other manufacturers, as well as having that engineering background and capabilities. What sort of, of clients are you all working with these days? So we're working with customers that are anything from startups. The New England area has quite a few startups mm -hmm. that are engaging in new technologies, all the way through to billion-dollar companies that have uh, large global supply chain needs. We've got customers that we do inventory of hundreds of parts that run at tens of thousands a year, down to people who are looking for one or two offs to uh, do a proof of concept to go get funding. And how does it break down in terms of U.S. clients versus clients who are overseas? So our clients are 100% in the Northeast. Uh, we do, as a result, have some products. We do some adapter boards that will be produced overseas. So we have some com customers that are 
uh, in Asia that will buy our products, uh, actually Asia, Europe, and North America in terms of some of our custom IP parts. Mm -hmm. Tell me a little bit about how you made the decision to actually get into the manufacturing side. Was there a specific industry need that you saw that you felt like you could solve? There was an awful lot of material obsolescence going on, especially with through-hole ICs and whatnot. You have your through-hole board, and then your IC, you have to buy a surface mount one now. This is so right there is an instantly pretty good fit to take a new surface mount pod and relay that out to a uh, through-hole footprint. There, there are a few other shops that can sit there and they'll do adaptive boards. However, it's the uh, technology that they're using. It's where they're having soldered pins onto a board. Mm. Whereas we're using more of a um, pressed pin and then a soldered dip. So you have a better mechanical. And also you, you also have a much lower footprint of that. Roll along with that for a while. But then as time goes by, as anyone, any good geek out there knows, a chip that you spec in today may not be here tomorrow. <laughs> and not only may it not be here, you still get an equivalent, but the footprints are different. So that's where we're even doing a surface mount to surface mount adapter boards. Let's say you have like a, you have an IC and it comes in three different size footprints. We can design and make a board that can accommodate all three footprints for the top side, but you don't have to change the design on the raw board for the bottom side. Mm -hmm. and, and, and so we've been really seeing a lot of that. It does fall into a little bit of the crisis management mode. It's like, oh crap, what am I going to do? <laughs> That's what I really saw the value of the adapter boards. Cause yeah, A, it could be a high volume thing, but also you might just need two or three mm -hmm. to do some breadboarding. It's, it's a, so like the first was through hole to surface mount. And then it was surface mount to surface mount, you know, for fine pitch along with the, um, alternate footprints. It's like I say, you get one adapter board. It can handle two or three different types of footprints on there. But then it's from um, it's what Kevin's seeing and it's that we're working on now is it's basically a uh, fine pitch tech, a fine pitch technology part, like a 0.4 millimeter 20 pin mm. BGA. There's uh, one customer that actually Kevin's been working with. It's where to put that technology onto the board, you're looking at micro vias, you're looking at a lot of added costs especially if you have like a two, three ounce copper board. You know, what may take a $40 board, if you change it to the micro beers and due to the design and layout of the board, that might turn into a, you know, an extra $30 upcharge mm. to that board. But we're able to do it with, basically it's an, it's an interposer board, which is another type of adapter that goes from BGA to BGA or BGA to whatever footprint you want. And so what you're doing is you're not adding that technology to the raw board. You're keeping it off to a separate board. You keep the cost of your regular raw board the same. Mm -hmm. And now instead of it being a $30 upcharge, you could buy one of these interposer boards for like $10. Mm -hmm. And now you've got uh, a modular solution. Exactly. And if technology changes down the road, we're able to move and swing with that, especially when you have boards it's that um, they'd have to go through all sorts of approvals. It's whether it's telecom, medical, aerospace. If you change the design of the board, you go through a whole approval process. Mm -hmm. If you change one line on the bomb, nobody really cares. We talk so much on this show about solutions to supply chain issues. And most of those solutions are process things. 
ways to think about this differently, alternative means of sourcing parts, do's and don'ts of design, things like that. But it's interesting that you all have found a, created a solution to supply chain issues that is an actual product or a set of products. I'd love to, to switch gears a little bit and talk about another area that I know you all do a lot of work on the consulting side, which is cable and harness assemblies, and talk a little bit about process for designing cable and harness assemblies. I'm going to tip my hat to Kevin on, on this, on, on really getting us into the uh, cable world, especially with the proof of concept, quick turn, and things of that nature. Uh, one of the things I always was around circuit boards, and um, it's a whole different thought process when you're looking at cable, cable harness assembly, as, as far as to manufacture it, what type of materials you're using. I see if, from what I've seen over the past year is a customer will spec in connector A. I said, yep, this is a great connector, but those like everything else are, it's when you're going, when the engineers are going through and designing their cable, one of the things it's that I, and I may be incorrect on this, but I don't see a lot of forethought going down the road. It's like, yes, this might be the connector for you, but now do you have to have a special crimp? Do you mm -hmm. have to have a special crimp tool? Do you have to stand on your left foot on Tuesdays and only put this thing together? <laughs> and, and it's, and it seems it's that that is what I see as the uh, brutal side because every different type of connector that you spec in and you have a multiple of pins that you can spec in, you need a specific tool for that one pin. Mm. So that really drives up tooling costs and REs on that side of the uh, fence. So do you consult with clients about how to look at their processes or their specifically their design process more holistically and to think about what those other effects are going to be cascading down through that process when you're helping them spec out what components they may want to use? I think Kevin can speak more clear about that. I, obviously, yes, I, uh, I am a really good geek. I, I'm kind of known as the oh crap guy. You know, oh crap, yeah, call, yeah, call up that guy Liam and have him figure something <laughs> out. Uh, customer size is more Kevin. One of the things that we do that's very unique is we can do, as you said, approach engineering from a holistic standpoint, both in terms of initial development cost, um, but also taking into account what the long-term vision for the product is. So one of the issues you see a lot today is people design based on a material set that's available in North America. Mm -hmm. And if the product line it is high volume and, and eventually would be manufactured in Asia for cost, you have to take into account the global supply chain, not only of manufacturing, but of the raw materials that are available. Mm. Um, we, we do try to approach early stage development with long-term production in mind. That's, that is really remarkable to me that you're looking that far up the chain at actual raw material sourcing Global sourcing right now is one of the major issues in electronics, not only at a component level, but at a raw material level. So laminates and prepregs being used in printed circuit boards, what's available in Asia is much different than what's in the U.S. So if someone designs in, for example, a specific material type, it may not be available in Asia and force your hand in terms of what you have for options for global supply chain. In addition, you may do a subset of, of materials. You may pick a 
uh, a certain TG material or a construction for how to build a board that doesn't translate into Asian manufacturing processes. Mm-hmm. So it's important to, to take a long-term approach of what you're trying to get accomplished in the product. We've worked with companies who are transitioning from proto and development to full production and realized they had to re-engineer the product because they had engineered in solutions that just weren't available. If you were to look into your crystal ball and let's look out into the future, let's say six months or so, do you see particular shortages coming that maybe we haven't been talking about or aware of as, as much as we should be? We're in the middle of, a, of an IC shortage. IC growth rates are manufacturing can't keep up with the IC growth yeah. rates as it stands. That couples with materials. So prepregs and laminates, particularly heavy ounce coppers, are in limited supply. People who are manufacturing copper foils would prefer now to put their efforts into products, batteries. So getting a three ounce, four ounce, five ounce copper clad laminate is difficult. We work by maintaining material contracts and material supplies to have material in place. Uh, to support production. We do inventory programs to keep finished goods in production to counter those things. But that's an ongoing issue and it's going to continue to get worse over the next few years. Yeah. That's interesting that you're looking at not only material, potential shortages of materials in terms of how that's going to impact things downstream, but also in the shifting, let's say, the, the whims of manufacturers as they chase higher dollar products, as you mentioned, EV components, things like that, that seems like that's going to have a, a huge effect as well as we see less profitable items perhaps disappear from inventories as manufacturers shift to things that will make them more profit. That is very true. A great example is that is one that I just started work on this week. Um, customers sent over, hey, I need this misquoted. And I, it's bottom line, it's a 64 pin ribbon cable. Okay. Okay. So your basic ribbon cable, nothing fancy. Mm-hmm. And the little connectors that, you know, that you just, just cinch on either side, you could buy them up at DigiKey pre, pre-assembled. Mm-hmm. Piece of cake. They no longer manufacture it. Now it's a custom cable. Wow. I, and this, and this is from Samtech. They're huge. Yeah. But just banging out a million of those cables isn't worth it to them, I would imagine, because any any type of product of that line, it's what I've seen is you can't get it or they just said, nope, it's obsolete. So now what you could buy in ditch key for like, they've got 10,000 in stock, you buy it for five bucks. Now you need two of them. It's no longer a $5 cable, you know, because uh, I'm only building two. That uh, economy but, of but, scale is gone. Yeah, it's and so the um, sticker shock factor is there. But unfortunately, the only other solution to that is design it out or which A would be expensive or come up with an alternate solution to make that interface back and forth, which could be cost prohibitive. Yeah, no doubt. It certainly provides yet another argument in favor of the adapter boards that that you all make, not necessarily in this particular example, but in terms of just thinking ahead for working around things that may become unavailable. A modular uh, adapter-based system seems to be a, a, a wise way of designing, especially as we're developing products and, and testing new ones. For me personally, I did probably smacked in the head for this. I kind of enjoyed a little bit because it's go figure this out. So I got to take a pot up a Ford, a pot up a Chevy, 
and grab a 26 Studebaker and here you go. <laughs> I love it. Uh, it is it, it, pretty much on how some of these things are actually having to be done. It, it's as far as just being creative. And what's really nice is the uh, cross disciplines between Kevin and I, it, it ranges from what a customer needs to what you know, I always say, I'll build you a space shuttle. Just give me a little bit of time and I don't know what it's going to cost. And, and you know, Kevin runs around and smacks me and says, quit selling space shuttles. Unless we can be profitable. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Seems like a long turnaround time on, on that one. You yeah, sound like the consummate engineer when you describe the joy of solving a problem that seems unsolvable. Are you an engineer by training, Liam? Yes, I actually, I, I started off in electronics in 1982 in Fort Sill, Oklahoma, uh-huh. learning how to fix radios. And those were all tubes back then. And I've been doing it ever since. I grew up in the, uh, where used to work for a company called Parallax, doing flex and rigid flex. Mm-hmm. And around 2000, I was there for like 16 years. I went over to the dock side into contract manufacturing, worked with a couple of those. And then in 2015, I said, hey, why am I making money for these idiots? And then I just found out that I'm just another idiot. <laughs> uh, I definitely enjoy, you know, here's a problem, figure it out. Whereas once you've been in the industry for a long time, like I say, Kevin's background within uh, chemical engineering and also within the markets that are out there, it, it definitely is a really good mix. So any technical thing I usually have at my fingers, I know somebody, Kevin has it his fingers or he knows somebody. Kevin, do you have an engineering background also? I'm a chemist by education. I started in the printed circuit board industry in 1991. Uh, I've held positions any from engineering to sales to operations. So I come at it with an engineering background, but also with more of a business mindset of, of how to look at my customers and make them profitable, not just how to get an immediate problem fixed, but get a immediate problem that fits well into a long-term solution. Yeah, and that long-term solution, the holistic way that, that you're looking at things, it sounds to me like like one of your key differentiators. How did you make that jump from chemistry to circuitry? It's just a uh, classic case of right place at the right time. You know, a wrong place at the right <laughs> time. Yeah, I went to work for a small printed circuit board shop in Vermont. I had graduated from St. Michael's College up in Burlington and wanted to stay in Vermont. Took my first job as a process chemist in a printed circuit board shop. And as they say, the rest is history. Once, once you get copper in your veins, it's hard to get it out. <laughs> Should see a doctor about that. You know, we, we've been talking about all these global issues, and you all mentioned that you focus more or less exclusively on clients who are in the northeast part of the United States. I, I would imagine that gives you the ability to give really personal, hands-on attention to those folks and dive deep into what their issues are that you can help them with. I wonder, is there anything unique that you found about companies in that region of the U.S. as compared to clients that you've had either with other companies or through Divine in other parts of the world? So the Northeast is a very innovative part of the electronics industry. Between biomed and you know the university structure in the Northeast with Harvard, MIT, there's a lot of innovation going on here. 
Uh, when I started back in 91, there was a lot of innovation all the way down to the material suppliers. Since the global shifts to manufacturing, a lot of the supplier manufacturing and engineering has shifted to other parts of the world. So one of the things that's really unique is knowing what global capabilities are. It's hard for a Northeast-based company to have a good working understanding of production capability, let's say in Asia or Europe. Uh, and that's, that's what we bring to the table is we've got a good understanding of material sets. We've got a good understanding of, of manufacturing processes that are available globally. And that's, that's where we like to play is helping innovative companies understand what's available in the global marketplace. I love it. New England's window to the world. Do you all do any work or have any interactions with any of the schools you mentioned, particularly MIT? And in terms of, are you do you partner with, with student programs or anything like that? We do. We work with both students. We work with folks over at MIT like Labs. We are getting more and more involved in early stage product development. Yeah, the stuff where hey, we've got an idea. We just we don't know how to do it. And in many cases, people understand the software side of it, but don't necessarily understand the hardware piece. We're working on a couple products. We've got one, it's an electronic wearable that, that is basically built into a barf. We've done some pretty unique startup technologies where we help walk them through the whole hardware concept, both in, in, in terms of what's available and then how to build it. And, and what's real important along that side is it appears from what I've seen it's that the cable harness is always the last thing to be thought of. It seems so simple. It's just wires. Exactly. <laughs> but then they get there and they're like, oh, I get this board with this connector that I designed into the board and this board with this connector that I designed into the board and how do you plug them in? So it's usually done at last minute and you wouldn't see, just like you said, uh, the majority of people look at it's just some wires and pins. What's the big deal? <laughs> uh, but depends on which wires and pins you pick from. For some reason, I don't know why, but you can look at something with like four different colored wires, all let's say 24 gauge, you get the four different colors. And for some reason, the orange one costs twice as much as the brown one. <laughs> it's like, it, guys, it, yeah, and I actually worked at a wire manufacturing company for a while up in New Hampshire, actually making the wire. And I'll tell you, going from orange to blue, it's not a big deal. <laughs> it shouldn't so, be, right? We're literally it, talking about a color of the insulation here, right? No other, and, no capacitance issues. No, there's nothing no. technically different here. It's nothing but little vinyl pellets that you dump into <laughs> a hopper. And there's and cost on the raw material side, there is no difference. But why it is that, I don't know. Another thing with customers, when they spec out a wire, let's say they this kind of a thick one. Let's say they say, okay, I want 18 gauge wire. And it has to meet UL 107. Okay, there's five different choices that you can buy, and the range can go from anywhere from $50 for a 100-foot roll to $180 for a 100-foot mm. roll. And all the electrical properties are the same. It's, and so that's when you get a conventional customer and say, look, you call, you call out vendor X, but here's, you get a much better deal. There's no problem with that. And majority of times when the engineer who's getting hit with the cable at the last minute saying you got to make this work, how they're specking out which wire and which manufacturers to, to use just might be, this is the one that's available to me. Great. It's the first one that popped up when you do a Google search. Mm -hmm. So you really we're talking okay. about a visibility issue there of folks just not knowing where to turn to, to find multiple sources for a similar product. Yeah. 
Correct. And that's also when it comes to specking in, like I said before, the pins, crimps, and the different connector housings. Mm-hmm. Yeah, all across the board. I'd like to ask you guys about the nonprofit that you are working on. That's, uh, it's called Smiles for Sunny. And it kind of happened by accident. Four or five years ago, I got pretty ill, but, um, you know, bounced back and it was with cancer. But yet here I am still kicking around. And one day when I was in the hospital, I met this person who actually wanted to have a get a few pictures of this bakery in uh, New Jersey uh, that a celebrity owns. I went down mm. there to take some pictures and it ended up being more than that. One of the owners FaceTimed with this uh, person I met and they were thrilled. Mm. And before I knew it, three months had gone by. I hadn't gotten home yet. I've been to every state in the country. And we did about a hundred and little over 130 bucket lists for um, people who couldn't make it. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. So, you know, we actually, we went to a wedding. We went to little kids' birthday parties for grandparents who were bedridden. And myself and that's my dog, Sonny, we've slept on top of mountains, on volcanoes, and blizzards and deserts. And we did it all in a little, in a 2004 Mini Cooper in a tent. And at that point in time, it was Kevin that made sure that I was able to keep rolling on the road do doing my thing. Then I had gotten home after three months, and I think that was about it. And then we started working together more on the business side and started talking. And Kevin says, this would be a nice thing to do for a nonprofit, because personally, I really do enjoy doing it. So we've kicked that off, and there's a Facebook page, Smiles for Sunny. And by the time this comes out, the website will be up and that'll be smilesforsunny.org. Will you uh, back up one step for us and sure. just tell us how you got the these bucket list items and just a little more background? Our primary goal is to raise money to help people with medical costs, living expenses while they're fighting cancer. During Liam's travels, Liam met a young man who was fighting cancer and didn't have the financial wherewithal to be able to buy his medication. And the story of Liam giving him his medication and saying, I'll figure out how to get more was enough to say, hey, there's a lot of people who cancer being bad enough, but what it does to your, your life in terms of having to absorb costs and try to keep living, that's when we said, hey, we want to raise money to help support people. And then tying it back to the sunny side of this, one of, one of the biggest concerns that Liam saw was uh, people who were fighting cancer didn't have the physical ability to take care of their pets. So we raised funds to help bring in dog walkers or people to support pets. And if things go the wrong direction, we will we offer rehoming to find a forever home for pets that need to find a new home. That's Those are the primary functions of the nonprofit. And that's why we're out trying to raise money. That's fantastic. And Fred is sunny animal will never see a single day in a pet shelter. Uh, I'll take him in myself and, and find a good forever home. We have found a network of people who are willing to take pets if needed, temporary or long-term in, in many cases. Beautiful. That's really an incredible range of support services that you're giving to people who really need it, help. The other thing that we're trying to do is become the Make-A-Wish for big people in following with Liam's effort to go finish bucket lists. Yeah. We're also trying to raise money to help people go finish the bucket list themselves. Great. What's next for the organization? Right now, we're planning on doing a little mini trip this summer just to revisit some people that I've met along the way. There's on the Smiles for Sunny Facebook page, the first video on there is everybody my dog met. And it's <laughs> thousands of people. It, 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 it's a COVID video. And, and the reason why it's named after Sonny is he's my dog. When I first got ill, I got him. 
impressive company. Mm-hmm. And little did I know, he actually ended up being my service dog. Right uh, on. He can actually, when your blood changes and whatnot, he can give you a good half an hour, 45 minute heads up that I'm not going to be doing very well if I don't chill out. Wow. Uh, so, uh, yeah, there's act- I didn't even know he was doing it all along. I've never owned a dog before him. So, I, so yeah, the dog does weird stuff. But after I spoke <laughs> to a trainer, I was at the hospital, I, a gentleman who was a service dog trainer started talking to me. So we did a little study to where I would either take a placebo or something that would make me sick. I didn't know what it was. Mm. And then they would see how the dog reacted around me over a couple of days. Wow. And that's how we figured out what his signal was to me and whether I was getting really sick or not. And that's how it started. So it has a big niche towards go and visit people. Hey, and here's something for the geeks in the audience. <laughs> My dog's trained in Klingon. <laughs> I kid you not. Oh, that's always a great conversation starter. It's when, you know, you're in a restaurant or you're going through a store or something and you give a, everyone looks at you and it's a great conversation. What language is that? Everything. Uh, what a great language to, to issue commands in. You talk about a firm hand of a trainer. You don't mess with a Klingon. What's great is I did some reading up on it. And at first I was training in Klingon just to be kind of be a little bit of a smart ass. But then as I learned more and more about dogs, they respond much better to very guttural. That's mm-hmm. why a lot of police dogs are trained in German. Yep. A lot of hard consonants. And what's another nice thing about it is the dog doesn't understand English as much. So if you're walking somewhere and someone goes, well, look, a puppy, a little kid or something like that, it's not a distraction. Yeah, that's uh, a nice perk uh, uh, as a service dog to eliminate one more layer of distractions. It is because I'm, I'm basically distracting enough for them. Outstanding. So when I was going through my journeys with Sunny, I was in Texas and it blew me away traveling across the country. Texas is three times the landmass of all of New England, which you really don't realize until you drive across it. Yeah. And I says, you know, I says, oh, you know, I'm trying to hit every state as well. So I, I want to go to, so I went to school in Fort Sill and I was able to get a hold of um, one of the commanders there and some young lads who had joined who were going to 31 Victor 10. That's fixing radios. I got to go up and talk to them with a sunny and said, hey, this is just the beginning of the electronics industry. Yes, I was here in the early 80s and this is what I do for a living now. So that was like pretty cool to let the younger generation know it's yes, you may be getting into electronics now, but you never know where you're going to end up with it. Once you get copper in your blood, (laughs) I found you get three types of people. You get the people that do it just for a job. You get people who do it who absolutely abhor it, who want to get out. And then you have the poor schmucks like us who actually enjoy it. (laughs) Excellent. Kevin and Liam, thank you so much for an amazing discussion today and for all of your work through the nonprofit. Thank you for having us. This has been great. I enjoyed the conversation. Hey, Eric, thank you very, very much. This has been like really, really cool. I hope folks enjoy it. Hey, thank you so much. Have yourself a great one. To learn more about what Kevin and Liam are up to, visit divineelectronics.com. That's D-E-V-I-N-E, electronics.com. And be sure to visit the site for their amazing nonprofit, Smiles for Sunny. That's smiles, F-O-R-S-O-N-N-Y dot org. Those links will be in our show notes as well. Until next time, keep the data flowing.